0: Hello, and welcome to a Mind Matters podcast and a light for change. Here we talk about the who, what, where, how, as a community, we can make positive changes. The win is up to all of us. It starts with you. Before I start, let's get into a positive zone, and I'll share my thoughts on a question from Graduate Thrivers Pazcards. The card drawn is the color blue for self-esteem and values. Now, the question is, what do you like about learning? I appreciate the fact that life and the world around us is full of learning moments. Life lessons, lessons in science and math, language and more. Today, the ability to learn is greater than ever than in the past, except maybe in the days of Plato as now we can make our own opportunities to learn. You want to learn a new language? Then make friends with someone in your neighborhood that speaks that language. Want to learn how to cook? Then experiment with the guide of an influencer. Want to understand complex math and science? Then stare deep into nature and watch it change. Want to understand life better? Then sit with several different elderly folks and chat for a while. The only real conditions to learning are to ask a question and be willing to accept the answers that are revealed. This is Season 1 Mental Health Episode 5 Unlocking Your Thoughts. Therapy can be very expensive and not all of us have access to it, but you can start doing some self-reflection. This reflection will help you understand the way you interact with the world around you removing the negativity and blame so you can be free to enjoy life inclusive of its trials and tribulations. Imagine how much better the world would be if we all held ourselves responsible for what we put into the world compared to the sliver of society that is currently aware of what they choose and how they manifested in the moment. When your know-how is able to unlock your thoughts, it makes room for you to have compassion for others as opposed to judgment and ridicule. Improving our empathetic capacity allows us to reach out a hand to others as if to say, it's okay, you are perfect the way you are. Let me hold your hand as you step up and enjoy this world. This is a deep topic and it's vital to understand that For this level of self-discovery, you really must be honest, let go of the alterations we make to the past moments to make it more ideal for ourselves, you know, those little white lies and omittances when you retell a story, and you must dig deep and pull out those repressed and intentionally forgotten memories. It's like turning a mirror on yourself or looking upon yourself in an out-of-body sense. First. What is thought? Thought involves a subject, sensory recall, an emotion, a reference to an experience from the past if available, reference to a pending or future moment in context, and a calculation of this information that happens instantaneously. Thoughts happen by putting ideas together and creating other ideas when we see pictures in our mind connecting two logical points together imagining what could happen or remembering things that did happen. Thought processes are the linear mental activities involved in accepting, processing, and analyzing information. They involve a form of cognitive action that uses your mental functionality to understand specific functions of a personal or human experience. It is a series of electrical and chemical signals bouncing all over your cerebral cortex your mind thinks in pictures and visual sensations known as symbols that when tangibly referenced in a communicative form conjure up images or a quality in our mind. Then the thought goes through a process that is like asking Google a question resulting in instantaneous recall of information. Hundreds of information links are thrown at the thought you that you must comb through in the blink of an eye. Like Google, not every link has relevant, or accurate information. Some will only have a thread in common with a specific thought in mind at the moment. Our minds create a story from bits and pieces it just gathered and applies an emotion that relates to a physical feeling, and then comes to a prediction or conclusion. Not every thought has a clear end, which allows it And it is its associated emotional feelings to linger afflicting your mental health it is important to be prepared for your emotions as they emerge by giving yourself time to place time and a place to reflect so you can cry laugh and scream in peace the subject of a thought could be a word a phrase an image a topic an idea an issue a person a sound a smell or even, but not limited to a desire, the thought we have for an apple is the same whether we hear the word apple, see an apple, or smell an apple, and it only changes when we learn new information about apples, which will form a question, like what kind of apple is it in the future? Sensory recall, related to a thought subject, is the mind telling you what it remembers from the last experience with, it, with that subject. How it looked, what it tasted like, how it smelled, what it sounded like, how it felt in your hands, and how you felt experiencing it. For example, you're hungry and looking in the fridge, scanning all the food, and you see an apple. And in a millisecond, your mind tells you an apple is crunchy and juicy, tastes good, and was your favorite as a kid in school. And how you love picking them in September off the tree with your parents. Then, without realizing it, you just calculated all of that, and you decided to pick up the apple and snack away. The next process of a thought is a long one to discuss, but worth every detail in understanding what an emotion means and why we have them. Emotions are what make us different than a computer. In computing language, a thought is a query that uses parameters to search through data to formulate an answer to a specific question. Whereas a thought does much the same thing, but the question is not always a precise and clear. There is usually an added element of how we feel about the subject, context, or question involved in the thought. These emotional feelings give us a sort of flag that highlights some important information to pay attention to or a message to consider. Feeling happy tells us something is good is often considered a direct opposite of sadness but there is so much more to understand about happiness it is a feeling of pleasure and contentment in the way things are going a general sense of enjoyment and enthusiasm for life happiness is the most pursued concept in the world so much so most of the western world considers it a civil liberty however It is still the most understood concept as most people align happiness with privileges that can be attained or a lifestyle that can be maintained when it is just as fleeting as a thing as all the other emotions are. Happiness is a choice to find pleasing value, meaning, and purpose in a moment. With each new moment, the choice needs to be made again, which is in essence the practice in gratitude. Humans have unlearned how to see the joy of a moment that results in happiness and tend to focus on factors that equate to being unhappy. Joy and misery can be seen in every moment depending on the perspective you have, and that is where the choice rests. If you choose to focus on what you are lacking from achieving a concept of happiness, you allow yourself to feel contempt. If you focus on happiness as an attainable concept, you leave yourself open to feeling unsatisfied or lacking meaning. If you focus on finding happiness in sadness, you allow yourself to be complacent. Where the focus needs to be as a forethought or reflection is in creating meaning that allows you to grow from the moment, generating a sense of fulfillment that is deserving of being filed away in your long-term memory as happy. To find happiness, though, you need, to look, you need not look any further than the moment. Be in the moment. See the small beauty that rests in dark places. See the love that rests on light places. And be thankful for having been able to experience those. Feel the things that suggest an absence of happiness. Give those feelings a meaning that guides you to grow, to see them as a value you can bring. To increase the happiness quotient, There are many emotions that are in part happiness, like joy, elation, gladness, enthusiastic, fulfilled, satisfied, optimistic, rewarded, and contentment. The emotional feeling of love is telling you that you can feel comfortable being your true self or that you accept something in its wholeness. Love is another emotion we have put a false context around. It is currently considered something you can only have with a few people and it denotes some sort of sexual entanglement, even with family, according to Freud. I personally like the Aboriginal way of expressing love by saying, I see you, all of you, similar to the Asterian or Jewish um, Hebrew word, shalom. Love is a blanket word that encompasses other deeply felt emotions like feeling wholehearted, empathetic, seen, understood, cared for, affectionate, devotion, belonging, acceptance and intimacy though often people mix in these sensations that come out of the desire that mix in the sensations that come out of the desire and excitement emotions due to how we have trained ourselves to express love the feeling of not being loved most often comes from the lacking of desire and excitement emotions, but if you asked a couple that have made it through decades together, the definition of love often omits all but true love emotions, alluding only that the other emotions are good tools to keep the spark alive, but not the love itself. Desire is a simple emotion to understand. It impels to the attainment or possession of something. That implies a deep imperative wish for something based on a sense of need. Desire is neither a good nor bad emotion. It is simply a gentle shove towards something that can be experienced, that gives a feeling of yearning, attraction, greed, gluttony, longing, lustfulness, ecstasy, excitement, allure, craving, being wanted, wanting, being compelled, being persuaded and being driven. Excitement is probably the most sought out emotion due to the increase of serotonin. It stimulates creating a state of arousal that is trying to alert you to pay attention to something that has the potential of giving you the feeling of interest, amusement, intrigue, anticipation, surprise, being humored, giddiness, euphoria, pleasure, hopefulness, anticipation, being inspired, thrilled, active, exhilarated, or upheaved so that, as according to the psychology of excitement by Neil Patel, it can stimulate other emotions, reduce cortical functioning, and hence conscious control, and create physical agitation and readiness for action. The endocrine system stimulates various glands, in particular in particular the adrenaline glands which increases oxygen and glucose flow, dilates the pupils so you can see better and suppresses non-urgent systems such as the digestion and immune systems. Arousal is spread through the sympathetic nervous system, which affects such a, with, a set, with effects such as increasing the heart rate and breathing to enable physical action and perspiration to cool the body. Gratitude is something humanity is in shortage of these days, with most of us living under a veiled sense of injustice and a mindset that we should only be thankful for our spoils. But what the feeling is telling us is when we have it is that we are appreciating something. Gratitude is one of the most important emotions that we can express to make ourselves feel we can be ourselves and learn to be loved for the unique person we are gratitude is what makes even the worst days worth living through a peer of mine in therapy filmed a documentary on the survivors of ostrich and the common thread between them was that they all found small things each day to appreciate like the way the clouds moved or a single wildflower blooming and each other's company Making gratitude part of an accepted emotion worth focus allows you to see what you do have instead of what you don't, so you can make the best out of every moment, inviting feelings of thankfulness, graciousness, and appreciation. Admiration is an emotion that lends to feelings of admiration, respect, honor, possessiveness, and that are trying to tell you something something or someone is important, brings a sense of meaning, and that you want to know more, which is also part intrigue, excitement. Wonder is a difficult emotion to outline, but it seems to me to be an alert to a curiosity or something that demands further exploration or understanding, produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, breathtaking, bizarre, unimaginable, or the like, That produces a feeling of awe, enticement, open-mindedness, amazement, reverence, or you are engaged in something vast that challenges your understanding of the world. Sadness is an emotion that is flooding the global conscious mind at present, but yet is something we avoid, repress, and negate by some means so we don't feel punished, disappointed, unworthy, or dissuaded. We can appreciate sadness when it allows us to feel sympathy, but other than that, sadness is often considered a negative emotion. However, according to Dr. Paul Ekman, it serves an important role in signaling a need to receive help, seek comfort, or make amends. These actions are called emotional healing, which allows us to handle moments of rejection, termination, loss, transition, and disappointment, so, we don't base our choices living with feelings of anguish, despair, sorrow, guilt, grief, misery, hopelessness, helplessness, being distraught, or discouragement. Anger is an emotion that is overexerted because we are not addressing our sadness or fear, which makes us constantly feel like we are being signal- singled, signaled to something that is threatening attacking, frustrating, or that will leave you powerless, resulting in a feeling of disappointment, disgust, frustration, uncertainty, and rage. Anger can be a good thing. It can give you a way to express negative feelings, or motivate you to find solutions to problems. But excessive anger can cause problems in your relationships, cause you to be secluded, result in some form of punishment ridicule, or shame, and can be caused for serious physical ailment. Being relaxed is more of a state than emotion, but it is an emotion in that it is letting you know that you, you or the situation are unagitated or undisturbed, which evokes feelings of calmness, boredom, tranquility, relief, serenity, being laid back, mellowness, being unhurried, or freedom. Fear is straightforward emotion that we take so seriously is debilitating. Fear's message is clear in alerting you to danger, reduced safety, or uncertainty. But it often leaves us feeling distressed, anxious, pained, worried, scared, stressed, dismayed, or embarrassed, which puts into question our values, consideration of our role, and limits our willingness to be engaged in activities. Confidence is another complex emotion that has many gray areas. We will get into more detail on later in this episode, but in simplicity, it is telling you that you are prepared to handle what you are handling by generating feelings of positivity, pride, bravery, courageousness, understanding, accomplishment, trust, and realization. Understanding is an emotion that tells us we have successfully found something that satisfactorily answers a confusion, uncertainty, or question, garnering feelings of certainty, inspiration, command, purpose, meaning, or awareness. Loneliness is likely the most difficult and dangerous feeling to encounter as it is signaling to us that we feel alone, unseen, unheard, Stimulate or unheard, stimulating the sadness emotion and inciting feelings of being unincluded, being unvalued, emptiness, alienation, or lacking purpose. We can feel loneliness when we are constantly surrounded by others simply because we are lacking connections that have meaning more than purpose. When you're faced with an emotion and trying to make sense of it all, make sure you have established some sort of support group when you need guidance and comfort. Be clear when asking them what you need. If you just want to vent and don't need an answer, let them know. If you just want a hug, no questions, let them know. If you just want a hug, no questions, let them know. If you want their opinion, let them know. If you want to hear their similar stories, let them know that too. Once you have learned to face your emotions, you're going to learn to unlock the key points to all the data being fed to a thought regarding experiences you had with the subject in the past. Most often, a prolonged thought stems from either worry or joy and how the matter impacts the regularity of our lives. I'm a former overachiever. Well, I'm working on it. But for this part of unlocking your thoughts, I relate to Brianna Brown and her TED talk about shame in which she admits she has always taken a measuring stick to everything, beating the shame into submission through analysis and dedication to resolve until realizing the key to happiness is acceptance of humility and shame and vulnerability. Family is the number one factor that plays a role in our thought processes. And worry is a big emotion that floats around the topic. We worry for their happiness, their safety, their comfort, their needs, and their health. Members of a family are so intertwined with each other's; their individual emotions impact the whole. Breakdowns in communication and misunderstood, expressed feelings can cause huge risks in a family, while at the same time, any threat or attack on a family member is equal to an attack on oneself. As much as we are separate from our family, it is where we can choose our families. Even in adoption they have personal traits, thoughts, and ways of expressing that will be uniquely theirs based on their experiment, experiences and may collide with the data you have collected throughout your experiment, experiences. As a family, Each member is responsible for navigating the mindful and peaceful coexistence with all members, despite differences in opinion. Work is a topic that sits in the minds of all regularly because it's human nature to feel productive and able to provide. However, work is also the number one stressor that we all endure because we have altered our value of work to be solely a matter of labor in exchange for a dollar. We have even created a segregating class system that places on a scale of worth based on earnings. This system we have created has formed a stigma that has everyone clamoring for a handful of preferred jobs instead of doing what they do or could do best, opening our psyche to be exposed to all the dark emotions we just talked about. So many of us are in jobs we hate because we have made it socially accessible, acceptable, to grind for a handful of people in power instead of grinding at what you, at what we are good at for the greater good of all. The first worry that pops up is being able to provide, but a high, higher salary doesn't always denote fewer negative emotions circulating your thoughts, which leads me to believe that the solution is not more money, but something else. From all my pontifications, I think most of our negative emotions around the context of work stem from lacking meaning, value, or purpose to what we are doing, forming a void no amount of money can fix. Learning is a big part of who we are because we have sabotaged our understanding of how to provide learning and placed a financial aspect on who can acquire higher learning, causing our feelings and emotions that encircle learning to run the full gambit. Some who are educated gain a sense of privilege, others power, few gratitude, while those who receive only basic education often feel underprivileged, segregated from opportunity, or defeated while many become contempt or complacent. However, if you take a good look around, one's level of education does not seem to indicate correspondence to quality of life. I know so many many highly educated people who are trapped in low-end retail management positions simply because they didn't value the lessons life offered them. I also know many educated people ...who just can't handle the cog-like nature of the world beyond academia, having failed to see the underlying message of routine and conformity for compensation or credit that is weaved into the culture of our educational facilities, perfectly reflecting the nine-to-five grind of doing tasks for no other reason than you were told to because they were too focused on the praise of individual success performance. Humanity seems to have downplayed the necessity of what I call living learning, leaving us with so many uncertainties and internal conflicts about, from allowing the greedy to dictate the ways of life and handling the opportunities. Life teaches us how to interact with others at a very young age. I'm sure many of you have fallen prey to a manipulative child Cute innocence before. As we grow older, every interaction we had taught us something that is reflected in our personalities. Every rejection lingers slowly, chipping away at our confidence. Every praise received makes us a little bit more of a people pleaser. Every injustice makes us a little angrier, and so on, which is why it is important to learn how to handle and understand the lessons of the trials and tribulations that life throws our way humans are hardwired for connection which is why loneliness is such a slippery slope into a dark frame of mind friends come in many forms but there is a blanket that cloaks us all in distress we worry so much about the opinions of others we falsely present ourselves to fit in forming unhealthy friendships we also jeopardize our quality relationships because we know we can be ourselves with them and we tend to finally let go and vent the wrong way towards them. It's a long road to loving yourself enough to allow others to like you for who you are and being able to accept that it is okay to patiently wait for people to sow their way into your lives. Personal interests are the most uniquely individual expression of identity in our modern world. Yet the least valued aspect of standard life functioning, aside from education and employment status, this is also the one part of our identity that is the most judged by others. Self interests are what we like to do on our own time for fun and gives us gives us a sense of peace, comfort, and or joy. I like learning and am very project oriented, particularly on matters of anthropology, health science, architecture and urban development, but I also really enjoy dancing and gardening or handicrafts of any sort. Our interests rarely contribute to negative emotions, like worry, even if the interest is socially considered bad. Where the issue comes from is we often remove these interests from our lives if we feel we are not reaching or exceeding in the aforementioned areas, or we neglect the responsible functioning part of our lives escaping completely into our interests. I have been very blessed to be able to see ways to make all but dancing part of my work, some in process while others are in the forming stage, which has been allowing me to bring more meaning and joy to my daily life, although now I have added the layer of worry regarding the financial investment required to open Meaning, I will need to also find the time to keep my grind job for a few more years, but at least now, the grind has purpose of investing in me. Think back to all the different experiences you had with family, work, learning, friends, and personal interests, and creating a connected dog picture of you reflecting the thought through the moments of your life. Dot one is the earliest recalled encounter or potential inciting moment. And the last dot is the present, resulting in a single line picture of yourself. Do any of the moments plotted on that line draw you to stand out as a possible link to why you think and act the way you do today? I tried this purpose, process sorry, with a few factors in my life where I have been able to piece together a sequence of events that could have potentially led to my current behavior patterns. When I was a child, I spent a lot of time with my father, who would constantly complain about all the wifely mothering skills my mom lacked, though he loved her very much. My mom and I had a care-by-basic-needs turbulent relationship. As a teen, my mom forced my dad to kick me out taking a typical teen angst as a sign to cut the cord. I moved in with my boyfriend, and I dropped all I enjoyed and had worked hard for to be the perfect partner. I eventually quit my first path of continued education to pay the bills, working, having landed a job in my field with good pay. My relationship fell apart the more my partner saw my independence as a threat. I quit quit my career-oriented position to work two low-end jobs. My partner cheated on me because I had no time to be the perfect wife partner. I moved home and returned to school. While I was away, my parents fought so much, they temporarily split up. And I came home. I was blamed by my mom for it. I dated another gentleman and the same pattern followed as the last, except that we didn't live together. In fact, he lived an hour away in another province. My mother never failed to remind me that I would be just like her, never considered a good wife, despite the fact I was constantly improving my repertoire or wifely skills where she chose to give up. I decided I had enough of trying to please a fake-type upper-middle class and started to mingle with an old-school friend and her friends in the not-so-friendly area nearest where we grew up. I started to date one of the young men, and he treated me like a queen. I moved in with him. He convinced me to become a stripper, and I made a lot of money. I decided to go back to school so we can afford things without dancing. I got a job in the industry with a good salary. And again, my relationship fell apart to an extreme case of jealousy the more I achieved independence I quit my job and got a retail job. We weren't making enough, so he asked me to go back to dancing. He cheated on me with multiple girls so much, I started consenting. His jealousy grew with each new girl until it grew violent and I left. I started to date a client from the strip club and I vowed him. I wowed him and his family with the fact I was more than just a stripper. I started working in my career again. I had a child. And then his demon caught up with us, and presented itself to me. I subconsciously chose to show I was not above him, and joined in on what he pre- on what he had become addicted to. I fell into a numbness of uppers and downers. I had to leave my job and started dancing again to pay the bills. Everything fell apart, and I almost lost my son. I was becoming my mom, a terrible wife and a good on the surface mom. I left went I left, went home, cleaned my act up and vowed off relationships. I went back to school again, got a job in my field again, met a guy again, but then my dad passed away. I got pregnant and we moved in together. I subconsciously decided to ensure I was the lesser <clears throat> and I have not worked a career oriented job since and focused all my time, ensuring I was there for my family. My mom moved in. I started to work menial jobs for extra money. My mom would get up, get fed up of watching my kids while I was at work, or my partner would get mad at my mom for neglecting her kids, so I would stop working. We opened a business together, and we had another child. I couldn't keep up with my mom, wife, secretary, laborer, consultant, designer, and logistic hats, and my house of cards started to collapse around me. We sold the company. We got a job with a dec- He got a job with a decent pay. We got married. Kids were all in school, and I went back to a good-paying job. My eldest son became an, a, an angel. I had a breakdown. I haven't been able to work since. Do you see how every time I achieved, my life started to fall apart, and how I stopped? living to my potential altogether by the end even in my drug-addled days i was a loving and caring mom and a dutiful providing caring and accepting wife but when i focused on myself for part of my time i would be presented as the opposite so i subconsciously decided focusing on myself was a was bad and it was best to focus solely on family even my first toe back in the waters said the same. I am about to try getting back to work again despite now having a termed mental affliction of PTSD because my children support me and are pushing me to follow my dreams. Even though the amount of time I spend on my project annoys my husband, regardless of how hard he tries to show he cares enough to vain interest in them. Cross your fingers for me that this time my mind and the powers that be will allow allow me to have it be my time to put all my knowledge and experience into one basket that will benefit my family, society, and generations to come. How can we put the past behind us and forgive who we blamed, forgive ourselves, and move on? Well, it takes a few things, accepting what happened so you can move forward, giving yourself time to work through your emotions, writing your feelings in letters or journals, talking it through with a friend, empathizing with the people involved and yourself if possible, be patient with yourself, let go of expectations, forgive yourself for yourself, forgive for yourself. The other people involved may not change, may not care, and may not be there in your life for a good reason. You don't need to think back through the whole traumatic experience. Why torture yourself like that? You just have to find a way to accept that it happened and can't unhappen and be willing to unlock yourself from the hold it has over you. It is a to-do or not-to-do question when it comes to communicating and connecting, if that is what your line of events calls for. They do not need to be back in your life unless you want them to. This act of forgiveness is of acceptance and moving forward. I have been through many traumatic experiences in life, and all of them I have taken the time to accept, forgive, and move on. But there are two that have impacted my life and identity on so many levels that I'm not sure if I will ever, ever fully heal from. But I have learned to cherish life so much more through the processing of these moments. The first major traumatic experiment experience I went through in life was when I was an infant. As I outlined earlier, but I developed more than behavioral tendencies. It formed a good part of my identity. When I was 26... I went with my father to meet my eldest brother in Alberta after a few hours of ice-breaking about how life was these days. A moment came when I was able to just lean over and say, I am sorry for the hardship of your journey that came to you as a result of that one dramatic moment the last time we met oh so long ago. Just in different words, I am sure as it was some time ago now. His answers let me know that he was sorry for not being able to think clearly at the time. We didn't talk about it anymore after that and we spent a good few months getting to know each other as we are now, while my dad and I enjoyed our vacation. My dad and I came home and I maintained a sporadic Facebook connection with my brother here and there from then on. I hadn't been to therapy yet to realize how my infant trauma formed part of my identity and I will get into that shortly. But I knew enough then that he was having a hard time as a teen handling our dad's divorce from his mom and made some incredibly poor choices towards those he viewed as the enemy at the time and had been punished from then on. He spent years removed from all family and family and institutionalized in the 80s when mental health care was not like it is today. He had to hold the weight of what caused him even more loss of love for his whole life. He had to learn how to survive in a world without guidance from our father, as every boy deserves, and only I had received. I don't even know the extent of everything he has been through but I think we all have lost our shit once or twice when we were vexed beyond control. We have all been teenagers with our brains full of all kinds of hormones making us think some crazy good and good ideas. Some crazy ideas are good ones, sorry. Yes, that combination of factors led him to think of some awful choices, but how long should someone pay the price? I mean, even me sharing this is him paying the price still forty years later. That one traumatic moment meant I was taken away by CAS for a few months while the case was investigated, and I suppose it was more than the moment itself that things changed for me as my unlocking connect the dots would reveal. Therapy time with my mom would reveal that I came home from the facility and wouldn't go to her at all. And I clung to my dad like I would never see him again if I let go. I refused to be dirty and I had to keep things that were important to me close, like certain toys, where I wanted them and how I wanted them. As I reached my school-age years, I still suffered from internal damage and had bladder control issues. One mean teacher made it worse by refusing to comply with my file accommodation and made me wait to go to the facilities so long the inevitable happened, and I was teased the rest of my elementary days. I, would, I won't go through the whole chain of events, but what it leads to is obsessive and compulsive tendencies, not OCD, but the tendency to latch onto something for reasons others may not recognize in one moment and delve into obs- obsessively until I feel I have reached as full of an understanding of it as I need to satisfy my curious intrigue. I also became an overachieving people pleaser and became a, mastering, a master of hiding my emotions and wearing a cloyingly positive, always smiling mask. I wore that same mask for almost a year after the next dramatic experience I will get into, and have already mentioned here and there. My eldest son's passing left me numb, searching for answers on an endless loop. What had I missed? Did I say no when I should have said yes? Could I have communicated longer With him at some moment. Could I have fought harder for him at school? Did someone force him into it? Was I not listening fully when he tried to tell me how he was feeling? Did my bad choices when he was a baby mess him up? Even though I had done everything to make sure he had every tool to heal. Listened to him like a best friend talking for hours. Was accepting of his choices and his friends and always stood up for him? He was my right-hand man, and we talked about everything, even how he was going to convince his siblings to pitch in on paying for the cost of living, for my cost of living, so I can be set up to watch all their children because daycare would be so expensive by then. And he thought I was the best ECE in the world. After my nervous breakdown, I had to make meaning out of what had happened. I couldn't let him go in vain. I know I can never answer my unknowns, but it taught me that we all have this invisible thing called mental health, and we all have scars that run deep for us, but no one else can see or understand. I realized that it was these scars that was the perpetuator to so many of the negatives in the world, and globally, we all needed healing. I started many campaigns that spread the message of being compassionate to each other, And I became a beacon of compassion myself. But more than that, I learned to be okay with my vulnerabilities, allowing me to courageously share what has led to my mind being afflicted, the way it is, and willingness to work with others to form a model of inclusivity that makes for a better world for all of us to live in. I was lucky my version of survival and coping formed my identity in ways that are praised by society but they also led to my self-harming traits. Psychologist Evan Parks has this to say about forgiving all, of, all or part of a moment. Forgiveness is good, but it does not actually mean forgetting what happened and never thinking about the problem again. When we forgive, we are willing to carry with us the pain another person has caused without wishing for them to suffer as we have suffered. Forgiveness is not a one-time act but something we continually do. I learned through therapy to set boundaries around how you let the past affect you. You are more than a slave to your past. You are the master of your future. Just don't jump off the deep end doing the complete opposite to what you have become accustomed to. Take small steps, making small changes, making them part of your normal, and then change a few more things. Now that you've done if you have all those thinking through your connect the dot timelines all we have left to discuss all that now that you have done all that you have discussed so far you can see how your mindset was formed which allows you to classify your thought processing so you can realign it to a healthier perspective so you can make more conducive choices pending or predicting future experiences Questioning the W's, challenging where your mindset comes from, and if the information is valid or relatable. Analyze how your conscious and subconscious thoughts affect your choices and behaviors. Accept what you have lived through and what what you want to live like and what you have to let go to get there or go through to get there. Plan in a way that considers your past and safety behaviors so you can collaborate with them instead of allowing it to limit you. Prepare and practice. Reframe your thoughts. Clarify your understanding. Expose yourself to situations you may revert to safety behaviors in and challenge yourself not to. Set reflection time for yourself. It can be emotionally rocky road working through all of this. Life is funny, so make it so by finding the humor in heartache and the joy in the miserable place, even if it's just a small thing that lasted only a moment. When the thought has gone through all these parts, a calculation is formed, which is the brain trying to solve problems and predict strategies. Uncertainty puts the brain into a loop where physical that physically signals your brain and shows you that it's talking to you like when you're getting anxiety and migraines, hot and cold chills, ways you can try to work with your worries and to create lists and organize things that are in and out of your control on it and then decide which ones you can put away in which ones you need to direct your energy for acceptance of something that upsets you Which doesn't mean you necessarily have to be happy about it, but it's acknowledgement of the fact that it upsets you and figuring out ways to work with or around it. You need to use the five P's to regain your control, practice, patience, planning, preparation and physical fitness. You need to make the problem bolder, turn into smaller, more manageable pebbles seeking alternate perspectives so you can flip the script and challenge your thoughts for conduciveness to your aims. We don't have a crystal ball so we worry about the uncertain but it helps to sit with and express it which makes it the, the uncertainty more manageable. If you're interested in a good read to get you even more motivated to sit back and reflect on why you are the way you are, and what is hap- what happy looks like to you. I recommend the read to read Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. It's time to congratulate yourself for making it this far. I'm sure by now your head is spinning with thoughts, so let's pull it all back and take a deep breath and listen to this sound for a minute to find focus because we are about to discuss the final part of thought processing, which is calculating a conclusion. What you were just listening to is Quantum Focus, binaural Beats. Now that you're centered, let's jump to conclusions. Pun intended. At the moment, most of us, most of humanity that is, moves so fast we put no thought into our thoughts, and jump to a conclusion almost instantaneously, allowing the learned behavioral factors from our past to control our future. If that is working for you, then please continue allowing yourself to float along in a beautiful river with the grace you have been granted. However, if you feel you are unhappy and you want to rid yourself of negative shackles, we are about to get into how you can take control of the conclusion part of your thought processing by being in the moment with your thought or giving yourself time to process through a thought before reacting to it. My resiliency workbook states this topic starts this topic by getting you to ask yourself if the problem or worrying thought is in your control or not in your control. For example, other people's actions or behavior are not in your control. Likewise, having an illness may not be in your control. There are a few things you can do if you find yourself worrying about something that you have no control over, but there are some ways you can work mindfully with the issue that is beyond your control. Accept that it is what it is and there is nothing you can do about it. Prepare for how you will handle the worst case scenario and plan ahead for how you'll handle the best case scenario, but expect to stay the course. Ask yourself if there is another way to look at the situation. The meaning you attach to a situation shapes how you will respond. If you think about something in a negative way, you may only see the bad parts. Keeping an open mind to where another's perspective stems from will also help you understand how to converse with them to find a common ground and keep the topic you are thinking of, of moving productively toward a solution that eliminates your uncertainty. Ask yourself if your perception of what is happening is accurate and where the uncertainty rests. Is there a misunderstanding or a communication? Do you need clarification to fully understand what is happening? Are you using any assumptions or biases? Do you need to ask someone to clarify? Next, determine if there are any negative thoughts that need rethinking or challenging. Ensure you set aside time in your day to think about your worry, so you can limit the time spent thinking about it at inappropriate times during your day. If you have no control of the situation, try looking at the humorous side of your worry. I'm sure there are many other ways to take back control of your thought conclusions, but the general theme seems to revolve around figuring out how you can be thankful for what you have and how you can work through it with those traits to move through things that worry you. The only left to understand from there is the power of how you express yourself. Remember that no one else can see inside your mind. You need to find creative ways to express it to others without creating an uncomfortable situation. When I ask people what the hardest thing to deal with when you have a family member, friend, or co-worker who suffers from mental health afflictions, the answer I get most often is not knowing what to say. Followed by how to respond to nonverbal expression, uncertainty around the process, and not feeling selfish and telling them to toughen up. When I speak to those who suffer, I hear that people are judgmental. Others are not actually as accepting as they verbalize. They will often be talking behind the sufferer's back, sabotaging them, and giving them menial or demeaning tasks. And workplaces consider sufferers to be a liability or dishonest about their condition. It is only by exemplifying how to work with our conditions in a unilaterally conducive and understanding way that we will be able to create an environment that is tolerant and mindful of mental health. In the same way those who fought for physical disability accommodation. All you great people, who want to help shine light on ways the average Joe can make a positive difference, you can follow the same steps for yourself and support those in your lives who are having trouble finding others to understand or being able to express themselves in a society that does not understand. Just being a compassionate person as a way of life, being consciously mindful of others is the best thing you can do. As I leave you to think on this topic, I challenge you to think about another mindfulness exercise until then as well. Reflect on one aspect of your life that runs through your thoughts as something that makes you unhappy. Follow the steps to unlocking your thought process, making your connect the dots grid, and ponder a few ways you can advocate for yourself to be wholly seen so you can make steps towards formulating a scenario conducive to your happiness. I will close the conversation by drawing another card from the Positive Attitude Zone, PAS cards for short. This question will be the opening question for next episode. The card drawn is the color yellow for Forethought, and the question is, what would you like to stop doing? We will get to that next week, but in the meantime, you can get your PAS cards, Positive Attitude Zone, at www.GraduateThrivers.com, that's spelt capital G, small r-a-d capital U, small I T, capital T, small H R I V E R S dot com. Stay wonderful, wholesome, happy, open minded, and natural, and smile as much as you can. Take care until we talk again. This has been Heidi Hardy on a Light for Change podcast.